Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the weekly show here on iHeartRadio on 93.9 Light FM, 103.5 KISS FM, and Rock 95.5. I'm Paulina, and every week we're here to discuss a variety of topics that matter to Chicagoland, from health to education to finances and so much more. Plus, we love chatting with local nonprofits and charities that are doing great things right here for our city and our suburbs. Today on the show, I'll be chatting with Shannon Alderman, Impaired Driving Program Coordinator for the Illinois Department of Transportation. We are talking all things safe driving during this upcoming holiday season and weekend, of course. We'll be covering impaired driving, the importance of seatbelts, and why it's not okay to be distracted while driving. Ryan Gorman will be chatting with Jared Moskovitz, former director of Florida's Division of Emergency Management, talking about the national impact of the Surfside building collapse, hurricane preparedness, and mass shootings. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Take it away, Ryan Gorman. I'm joined by the former director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management, Jared Moskowitz, to discuss crisis preparedness and how the different levers of government work when disaster strikes. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. You saw a lot during your time heading up emergency management for the state of Florida, from hurricanes to a pandemic. I'm sure every state has their own style and and setup, but generally speaking, when an emergency situation is underway, what are some of the steps taken, especially at the local and state level? Well, listen, you know, FEMA has a a mantra, right? That mantra is called locally executed, state managed, and federally supported. Uh, And that really is how the system works. Uh, All emergency management is local. All disasters are local. And the state comes in and offers that support, that coordination. Sometimes it's dollars and cents with reimbursement. Sometimes it's actual logistics. Uh, One of the things we did at at the division uh, under my leadership, now under uh, Director Guthrie, is pre-positioning all the resources and assets you're going to need to respond, putting those things downrange uh, before the storm happens. Some disasters we get warning on. We get warning on hurricanes. Other disasters like what happened here in Surfside, there is no warning. Right. Uh, and you need to move as fast as possible because time is of the essence. When does the federal government typically get involved? So listen, depending upon the type of disaster, right, the, the thing that the federal government comes with is the checkbook. That is the most important thing for cities and counties uh, is that the federal government steps in and basically reimburses those cities and counties for having to fit to pay for the disaster. And Hurricane Michael hits a rural area, physically constrained places. You know, some of those places had three or $4 million annual budgets with a $20, $30 million debris bill to clean up. That's really where the federal government helps. But the federal government also has other resources, right? They have, they come with water, they come with tarps, uh, they come with obviously disaster experts. Uh, who know the experience, who know what needs to be done. They help bring the organization to have a unified command system. And then in the worst of circumstances, uh, they come with all of the Department of Defense assets, which you saw in a response like Hurricane Maria. And on that note, 
we saw in different hurricanes that struck the state of Florida, and we're even seeing with the situation right now in Surfside with the condo collapse, you have different entities from around the country offering support and helping out. How is that coordinated when maybe you have first responders from another state or you have some of those Department of Defense resources coming in? Who is is handling and communicating and coordinating all of that? Well, like in Surfside, the incident commander in this instance is the local government, is the, is the Dade County mayor, uh, as in the strong mayor position. She's the incident commander. Uh, and then the state comes in and, and supports. That really is no different on how a hurricane uh, would be, is that, again, it stays local, and then the state comes in and supports with additional assets. The counties, the local government, make resource requests through something in Florida, let's say Web EOC, but through an electronic system. They make those resource requests, and then the state fill those resource requests. But to be clear, all disasters uh, are local. They, they, they are run locally. They are led locally. And the state and the federal government come in with that supplementary support. So in Surfside, uh, because this event was too large for the city itself, they gave that incident command to the Dade County mayor, and she's the one in charge. I'm joined by former director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management, Jared Moskowitz. We're talking about crisis preparedness and how the different levers of government work when disaster strikes. How much preparation takes place year-round for potential emergencies? You mentioned a few minutes ago about getting resources set up in, in different places. Obviously, the last thing you want is to be caught off guard and not have a plan in place when action is needed. Yeah, I mean, so listen, you know, again, in a hurricane here in Florida, I mean, we've been battle tested. We still do yearly planning. We still do yearly training. We do, obviously, mock exercises responding to all sorts of major events happening in sensitive places in the state. You know, the folks at the Division of Emergency Management, the county emergency management directors, all the other apparatuses, we have a lot of hurricane experience. It's those other events. It's those uh, the other things that happen that we don't have planning, like this event here uh, in Surfside uh, or in the pandemic in, in, in a lot of ways. It's those events uh, that, you know, if you, ha- you have to have the right funding, the personnel to be able to respond, the equipment, the resources, uh, because time, time really matters. And so you're seeing that here in Surfside, the Division uh, of Emergency Management, along with the USAR teams, you know, we have some of the best USAR teams, urban search and rescue teams in the country. These are folks that get requested, you know, to, to, to go and rescue and, and save people uh, around the country in their time of need. They went to Haiti or 9-11. This is a local event for them. So they responded in a matter of minutes to this sort of event. Those sort of things, you can't get that time back. So being ready, just being ready and prepared being able to respond to the unknown is is, is part of the is, is part of what uh, you know folks in the emergency management business do every single day. Do states also tend to lean on other entities across the country that maybe have more experience in certain things? Obviously, up 
in New York, you would have some individuals who probably have a lot of experience in search and rescue following 9-11. Out west, you would have firefighters who are experienced in you know massive wildfires. In Florida, you would have rescuers who are experienced with hurricanes and things like that. Is there a shared resource setup that states and local governments can take advantage of when different kind of expertise might be needed for a certain situation they're dealing with? Yeah, so mutual aid, which is what we call it, states are able to request mutual aid from each other as are counties within the same state. And that's where FEMA can come in and help coordinate that mutual aid request in a major uh, a major event. So the answer is yes. Uh, I know folks down here have been talking to people who dealt with 9-11 to get their experience, to get the protocols and policies uh, and their expertise. Also folks, you know, from the Oklahoma City bombing that dealt with that. So there is that network of people who kind of share information from previous experiences. But as far as assets and resources coming in from out of state, that happens all the time. When Texas obviously experienced a couple months ago their significant loss of power, we here in Florida sent them a bottle of water. We sent resources to help set up a logistic staging area. That's commonplace and vice versa. When we've had major hurricanes here, Folks from around the country come in, volunteers, emergency management personnel, police officers, firefighters. Uh, and it's no different, you know, when you, when you have major fires as well. All sorts of resource requests. California has experienced that more than anyone. Is there any kind of change in the dynamic or setup when it's something like a terrorist attack or a mass shooting as opposed to a natural disaster or even like what we're experiencing right now in Surfside with the condo collapse? So I think really, you know, that it's no difference in response, right? The response professionals, the professionals, right. your firefighters, your police officers, your USAR teams, there, there's no different in response. But, but obviously how the community responds uh, is very different. Right, it's very different on how you respond to a hurricane than it is, let's say, the shooting that happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, or now this collapse in Surfside. Right, it, it, it's just events that shock the conscience, right, uh, versus things that we're more immune to, uh, more resilient to, like a hurricane. It's just different when kids go to a school and they don't come home that day. Yeah, that is different when you're. When you're sleeping in your condo at 1.30 in the morning and your building collapses, that's different. It shocks the conscience. So, of course, obviously, you know, the families who are struggling with this, the mental health toll that this is going to take on the community and them, it's very different than a hurricane. I'm joined by the former director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management, Jared Moskowitz. We're talking crisis preparedness. How important is communication through all of this with the public in particular? So disaster comms is one of the things that not only is it one of the most important things, it's one of the things that we don't really, we don't talk about. We, we overlook it a little bit because it's not obviously in our face like the response teams are with the personnel and with the equipment. But being able to communicate uh, is, is significantly important, especially let's say when it comes to a hurricane, being able to make sure that people have the right information the track of the storm, whether they need to evacuate, reminding them to get the resources, reminding them if they don't leave, you know, that it's going to take a while to get to them because roads could be blocked. You know, that sort of communication is invaluable in order to save lives. And in a time in which, quite frankly, you were coming out of the pandemic, which was the most divisive disaster in, in modern eras where people believed in different things, 
being able to communicate with folks uh, where they get their media through different mediums, they get it from social media, misinformation out there. Emergency management directors are now combating so many different things than we had to before uh, in order to capture that audience. You may only get to communicate with that person once. So if you tell them not to evacuate and you're wrong, you may not get a second shot at that person because there's so much incoming in people's lives these days. Final question for you. Are there things those of us outside of government, everyday citizens should do to help stay ready? Well, listen, I mean, look, here in Florida, uh, you know, folks know that, you know, every hurricane season, you got to go out and buy your supplies, right? You got to go out and buy your supplies. And the second thing is you got to listen to the local professionals on uh, where the the storm is headed uh, and whether you should stay or go, right? You should know your zone. Do you live in a flood zone? Do you not live in a flood zone? Right. You should you should know what kind of how old your structure is. You know, do you have hurricane windows? Do you you have shutters? Right. Those are the things that as individuals, people can be prepared for on their own, uh, you know, so that they can be ready and know how they're going to respond. Have a plan for your family. Right. I mean, it's you know, how would you evacuate east to west versus north to south? You know, have a place to go. Whether, you can, whether that's another family member or a friend you can go stay with. I mean, those are the sort of things individuals can do now and rather than doing it, you know, at the time uh, of an emergency. Former director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management, Jared Moskowitz, with us to talk crisis preparedness and how the different levers of government work when disaster strikes. Jared, really appreciate the time and insight. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity. From rushing waterfalls to stunning overlooks, historic cabins, exhilarating trails, scenic drives, and more, the National Forest System offers 193 million acres for you to enjoy. Celebrate National Forest Week from July 12th through 18th with the National Forest Foundation. This summer, get back to nature, explore your public lands, and don't forget to recreate responsibly. Find a forest near you and get involved at nationalforestweek.org. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, it's Paulina here with iHeartMedia. And today I'm chatting with Shannon Alderman, Impaired Driving Program Coordinator for the Illinois Department of Transportation. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. I am loving that it's summertime in Chicago, and I'm loving that we're you know, getting to sort of enjoy our summer this year as opposed to last year. But because of this, because you know we're outside more, we're driving more, we need to have a conversation, you and I, right? Because we have a big holiday approaching, and we need to talk about driving safely. Boy, you bet. I mean, the, the, these holidays, you see a lot of local traffic. These summer holidays are wonderful, but they include festivals, a lot of travel, maybe people coming from the sur- suburbs into the city and, and, and vice versa. Uh, and those celebrations, uh, those backyard cookouts, they include alcohol. Um, now we all know that, that cannabis is legal here in Illinois for adults to use. 
when you're using things like that, when you're drinking, uh, you can't get behind the wheel. It's just two things that don't go together. So um, that combination of an increase in traffic and, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, an increase in impaired driving can be uh, can be a deadly storm on our roadways. And we want to avoid that. And I completely agree with everything that you're saying as well. So I know we have a new campaign, correct? Drive sober or get pulled over. Is that similar to a clicketed ticket? Because that's still also in effect, correct? Yeah, that's right. Same, same kind of thing, right? It's just that reminder that, uh, you know, driving impaired um, on any substance, alcohol or, or any impaired substance, is illegal. It's a crime. It's treated very, very seriously by um, by our law enforcement and, and by the, uh, you know, that's why the legislators pass these laws is to keep those, those roads, those public roads as safe as possible. Um, so yeah, drive sober is a reminder to, uh, to do that, or you could face consequences. Um, and same thing as click it or ticket, right? It's that, mm-hmm. uh, it's a reminder that, uh, that wearing your seatbelt is a law. It's a law simply because, um, it, uh, it it's a good idea. It keeps us safe. It keeps um, the first responders from having to, to be out there um, and so forth. And, uh, you know, from that respect, it's not just protecting you. It's protecting uh, the people that have to respond to the tragic incidents that happen on our roadways all too often. Absolutely. In regards to safe driving, this also applies every single day, 24-7. So I just wanted to kind of put that message out there as well. But of course, with the holiday weekend approaching, we are, you know, more than likely likely to gather with friends, family, right? Have some food, right. drinks and, 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 you know, celebrate. So I think that this conversation is important to have, of course, throughout the year, but specifically for this weekend. I kind of wanted to break a few things down, though, if that's OK. Um, when it comes to impaired driving, right, I know that despite reductions, being lower over the last decade. Impaired driving is still a dangerous and deadly problem. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah, that's very true. If we go back like 30 years, 40 years even on our roadways, um, just in Illinois alone, um, over 2,000 people um, would lose their lives on our roads every year. And upwards of 50% of those would involve uh, drunk driving, impaired driving of some kind. Flash forward uh, now in 2021, and there are still 1,000 or so people approximately each year that die on our roadways. Much too high a number, but you can see that it's so much lower than it used to be. Um, same thing with impaired driving. We've went from you know uh, nearly 1,000 people uh, dying in impaired driving crashes uh, a few decades ago to about 300 every year now. Now, that's still way too high a number. Um, but you can see that uh, over time we have we have had those improvements. But lately, um, you know, that 300 number hasn't moved. We're having a very uh, difficult time really in Illinois. We've, we've been below 1,000 fatalities a few times on our roadways, um, but not often enough. Um, and certainly uh, that impaired driving number remains much too high. Um, and we just need to work together. Um, take the responsibility of of, uh, of getting a sober driver or um, finding another way home with uh, you know ride sharing or public transportation, whatever it may be. Do not get behind the wheel impaired, and um, you know with that uh, we'll start to see those numbers go down. 
Absolutely. And what about distracted driving? I know a lot of people, unfortunately, rely on their phones too much. And that also kind of then takes place when you're actually in the car driving, which we should never be doing. Um, Can you talk about that as well? What distracted driving is, what that looks like and how to stop doing that? Yeah, you bet. I think first and foremost, we all kind of take driving for granted, right? Um, We've been doing it uh, for quite some time. Um, We just kind of get in the car, get where we're going, and we don't stop to realize what a dangerous thing um, it truly is, particularly, you know, in in the metro area Um, and and on rural roads. um, It's just... It's just not as safe as we assume. That's that's really the best way to put it. And that means when you're behind the wheel, you need to focus on driving and driving only. Um, we realize that that uh, you know our phones have made life easier for us. We're literally always in touch, but the time to be in touch is not when you're behind the wheel. Um, that's the time to be attentive um, to what's going on in your vehicle and uh, and certainly with the uh, with the other drivers and vehicles with whom you share the road. Um, how to do that? Best way I think is to is to shut the phone off. Um, and I know people are like oh I'll never do that. It's the best way to do it. Um, put it in your glove compartment um, and, and just you know forget about it. Get where you're going. Stay safe. Now um, of course technology has helped us out a lot with the hands free. Um, still, still um, uh, legal to use your phone as long as it's a hands-free, totally hands-free. That means you can't touch your, um, you know, your phone or any other electronic communication device in your car while you're driving. So if you uh, if you have that ability in your car, make sure that that's hooked up properly so that you do not have to take your eyes off the road um, for any amount of time because it it only takes a second and. Um, you know, yeah. for for a tragedy to happen. That's absolutely true. And I really appreciate you sharing all this with us as well. And my last breakdown for all of our safe driving tips is what about the importance of seatbelt? Yeah, seatbelts are, are your defense, right? I mean, we talk about these other things and trying to prevent crashes. Don't drive impaired. Don't drive distracted. Slowing down. You know, the three big things uh, to remember um, to prevent that crash um, from ever happening. But when and if they do, that seatbelt is your, by far your best defense. Um, and it's really common sense. Um, the seatbelt keeps you from hitting something after your vehicle has struck something. So um, that's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid those, those <laughs> that contact that occurs, um, you know, between a, a body and, and the sharp um, environment um, and harsh environment that's within that vehicle. You don't want to uh, hit that steering wheel or windshield. Um, that's what airbags do, but they only work in conjunction with that seatbelt. Um, make it a habit. Make it a habit. And we're thankful here in Illinois that, that uh, around 95% of drivers have done that. But unfortunately, we still see in the in the fatal, serious crashes that occur on our roadways. We still see about half the people um, weren't wearing their uh, weren't wearing their uh, seatbelt. So you can see there that we still have a have a lot of work to do. Buckle up every time. Absolutely, buckle up. I love that message, and it's very important, and it's very true as well. Well, I really appreciate your time and you know all of the information that you shared with us today. I just wanted to sort of close out too with some tips about planning your Fourth of July celebration. Um, design, you know, designating a sober driver, wearing your seatbelt, of course, too. What other important tips can we include? 
Well, I think, yeah, first and foremost, when you're going to celebrate and that, uh, um, if, whether you're using any kind of impairing substance, alcohol, marijuana, whatever it may be, um, do not drive. Um, make a plan ahead. That's maybe the most important thing. Don't don't find yourself in a situation where, hey, I uh, shouldn't be driving, but I haven't planned for another ride home. Make that plan ahead. Um, very, very important to do that. And and if you're hosting a party, be responsible. Make sure there's plenty of food. Um, keep a very close eye on the friends and family that are going to be at that party with you. If you see somebody that shouldn't be behind the wheel, um, take their keys. Uh, give them a place to stay. Um, make sure that they find a safe ride home. It just it it, it just takes the takes the burden off of everyone. Allows you to have a better time. And, um, you know, it keeps our, our roadway safer. Um, remember, you're sharing that public road. Um, that's not just your road. Um, there's a responsibility out there to, uh, um, you know, to, to, to drive sober um, and, and, uh, and to buckle up to make sure that everybody in your car and on the, the, that's out on that road stays safe. Absolutely. I agree. Let's have a very safe 4th of July weekend celebration here in Chicago. Thank you, Shannon Alderman, Impaired Driving Program Coordinator for the Illinois Department of Transportation. We appreciate your time today and we appreciate all of these amazing tips, information that I feel like is very necessary to share. So thank you. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Candace Jones with the American Academy of Pediatrics. I know we're all looking forward to getting back to life after the pandemic. That's why now is the time to get your kids caught up on their childhood vaccines so they'll be protected from things like measles and meningitis when the world starts to open up again. When you call your pediatrician to schedule their checkup, it's a superhero moment. Call your pediatrician today. Thank you so much, Jared Moskovitz, former director of Florida's Division of Emergency Management. Ryan Gorman, thank you as well. And thank you, Shannon Alderman, Impaired Driving Program Coordinator for the Illinois Department of Transportation. And thank you so much for listening to the weekly show here on iHeartRadio. I'm Paulina, and we're always looking for local charities to spotlight here on the weekly show. If you're a part of a local nonprofit, you can email me at paulina at iheartmedia.com, and we'll try to get an interview set up with you so you can have a chance to tell us how you're helping to make our city and our suburbs a much better place to live as always we place this show on our podcast page so if you want to listen to today's show or a previous episode you can find us so easily on our free iHeartRadio app or iHeartRadio.com and just search for the weekly show thanks again for listening have a safe and beautiful 4th of July holiday weekend and we'll talk to you again next weekend hello it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com That's ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.